Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Serling's iconic series, one episode at a time. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows, such as Black Mirror, and the upcoming Jordan Peele Twilight Zone reboot in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology, as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com and if you want to contact me you can use the facebook you can use the facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod tweet me at ov anthologypod or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com okay so like i said this is a bonus episode um today i'm going to be discussing bandersnatch which is the first interactive movie from netflix and black mirror uh it premiered on the streaming platform on december 28th 2018 um that was kind of released in lieu of season five which charlie brooker has said recently fairly recently that uh Season five is imminent. Um, I don't know when that's going to be. Hope to God that it's after the Twilight Zone uh, finishes up on CBS All Access, uh, just so I can have some, you know, uh, less stress on my recording. But um, it was uh, released. Banner Snatch was released on December twenty eighth, twenty eighteen. It's an interactive film where you make choices that dictate what the characters do, and uh, the plot kind of unfolds at your whim to an extent. Um, kind of very highly publicized once it was dropped on the platform in December. And recently there is a Bear Grylls, uh, show that's going to be interactive. It's called, I think, You Versus Wild, um, where you make choices and he does crazy things. Like, I don't know. Um, honestly, I'm not that interested in it. Um, to be honest, this entire experience, I, I was just kind of okay with it. Um, well, I'll get into my review and everything, but I thought it was just okay, but I'd much rather take a Black Mirror season rather than an interactive film. Uh, so let's dive into this review. Um, plot summary according to IMDb is in 1984, a young programmer begins to question reality as he works to adapt a fantasy novel into a video game. Bandersnatch stars Fionn Whitehead as Stefan Butler, Craig Parkinson as Peter Butler, and Will Poulter as Colin Rittman, who, Will Poulter was, uh, he's in, um, not Hunger Games, Maze Runner, Maze Runner, I think. I think he was also in Detroit with, uh, Catherine Bigelow's Detroit movie. But anyway, after Bandersnatch came out, I think he got some flack because his hair, like he has, he has blonde hair in Bandersnatch, and it led to him just leaving social media. Um, I don't know if he came back yet or not, but, uh, the internet's shitty. People suck. Like, who can like, uh, I, I hate that. I really do. Uh, writer for Bandersnatch is Charlie Brooker. And I have some quotes of some things that he said regarding Bandersnatch. So this is per, um, uh, the one show on BBC he was interviewed, uh, Charlie Brooker was, and he was basically saying that, um, Netflix approached him and Annabelle Jones to make an interactive story through Black Mirror. So he said, uh, quote, yeah, we had a meeting and myself and Annabelle Jones, a co-showrunner, and we nodded and smiled and said, that's very interesting. And then we went out of the room and said, no way. Um, so when the host like asked, asked him further, like why, like why they were so resistant to it, he said, Quote, well, I think we thought it was, it would be a gimmick, and I used to be a video games reviewer, and there were a lot of games with full motion video in the 90s. Some were quite good, but there'd often be a pause in the scenes which could knock you out of the story. 
Um, so what eventually kind of changed his mind about it was that uh, he, he said, and then annoyingly, I had an idea a few weeks later, which would only work as an interactive story. <laughs> so that's kind of the genesis of Bandersnatch. And then in uh, Huffington Post UK, he commented on some of the criticisms that Bandersnatch faced and some of the uh, reactions that it got off of the internet. So he said, quote, there's also some people that are like, I don't want to make decisions. I don't want to do any of that. Uh, well, fuck off then. Do something else. And then there's some people who think, oh, it's too simple as a game. Our games have done this before. Well, this isn't on a gaming platform. It's on Netflix. I'm well aware of what a computer game is. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and he also uh, addressed uh, criticisms about why it doesn't have like a, an option for a traditionally happy ending like... Um, San Junipero or whatever. And he said to that, he said, have they seen Black Mirror? Um, and they commented on there being, there not being a simple or coherent message. Uh, and Charlie Brooker said, quote, I suppose we do try not to go. This is what the message of the story is. And within this, it's so disparate, deliberately. So that's almost the point. And then he said, so it's a bit, <laughs> so it's a bit Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. There's branches where he discovers he's an actor in a Netflix show. You can't have that and put in, and put in an emotive story where he dies as a young boy on a train and have one coherent message between the two. Um, by the way, I'm going to be spoiling Bandersnatch, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. And also kind of, uh, in a side note of that, when I referenced season five of, uh, Black Mirror being imminent, there was just a casting announcement recently that said, uh, Anthony Mackie, um, is going to be in season five. So that's cool. Anyway, uh, director for Bandersnatch is David Slade, who previously directed Metalhead in season four. And as I said, I'm going to be spoiling Bandersnatch. It's a really tricky thing to review because, you know, people watch it once, they get a different experience than what I've experienced. I've watched it three times and I've tried to go down different routes and different paths, but I know that there's stuff that I haven't uncovered yet. And to be, to be honest, I, I think I've gotten my use out of it. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'll be compelled to do another one, uh, or another round of it, but I mean, there's some kind of paths that I'm kind of intrigued by, but for the most part, I think that the kind of story itself is lacking, um, when in comparison to the rest of Black Mirror's, uh, offerings. So I don't know if I'll ever really get around to doing like the, a full, like, do every single path you can take. Um, but I did my best, guys. Um, so my first viewing of this was in December, is December 28th, 2018. Um, I didn't really keep notes about it, but I did write a review on Letterboxd, which by the way, just shameless plug, if you are on Letterboxd and you're listening to this, Letterboxd, by the way, letterboxd.com, it is a website that is kind of a social media site for people who love films, and you can log the movies you watch, you can post reviews, interact with people, comment on other reviews. Really great, amazing website, and um, we actually have a deal at Obsessive Viewer Podcast that um, we can give out a free pro membership um, once per month. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a Letterboxd account, and you want a free pro membership, which gives you stats and uh, some extra features on the website, uh, shoot me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And the first one to send me an email will get the free uh, pro membership. Um, just send me an email with your uh, Letterboxd username and maybe follow me on Letterboxd too. Uh, it's Obsessive Viewer on Letterboxd. And uh, 
first one that sends me an email will get a uh, pro membership. So, uh, speaking of Letterboxd, my review, I don't... So basically, my first viewing of Bandersnatch back in December, on Letterboxd, I rated it 3.5 stars out of 5. And I'm not going to read my whole review or anything, but just... uh, Here's my opening one. Uh, my opening paragraph is, I don't know if I'd call Bandersnatch revolutionary exactly. The format was seamless and the choice responses felt natural, but I don't know if I'd necessarily want to see more interactive storytelling like this outside of the Black Mirror ba- brand. Uh, Bandersnatch feels like an, an experience unique to uh, Black Mirror. Then I also went on to say, deep down, I was hoping the choices and reactions in Bandersnatch would go even further, not necessarily darker, but in my first run of it, I was so engaged with certain things that I wish paid off a little better. And what's kind of funny about that is that by its simple nature, I can't say for certain that they don't pay off because there could be certain uh, choices that I could make that would lead to unlocking those kind of payoffs and everything. So I can't really say for certain that that's a definitive criticism of the, of the movie, but it's a criticism of my first experience with it, I guess. And so I, I don't know, on a conceptual level, I really like this idea of interactive films within Black Mirror because it's Black Mirror is a technological apocalyptic uh, dystopian viewpoint uh, based in technology. And this is something that Bandersnatch plays with this concept a lot or a, a fair, a fair amount that it's just kind of, like I said, it's unique to black mirror. Um, I don't know how they could do more if they should do more. I don't, well, I don't really want them to do more, but how they could organically do more. Um, but out of the gate, this first one, this, this, this one that they did just felt uh, slightly lacking just because it felt like the, it felt like the experience was more tailored toward the choice aspects and the branching, uh, timelines and branching, uh, narratives. And by concentrating on that, they kind of, this, I kind of, I guess the storytelling kind of felt a little bit by the wayside. Um, because we have all of these different branching paths and like, uh, last night my, my third overall time watching it, I decided I'm just going to completely avoid the mom stuff. And that just kind of felt like kind of an empty kind of story um, for me when I was, when I was watching it that way. And um, yeah, it's, it's, first of all, it's really difficult to review this because I, there's so like, I have notes for uh, my second and third viewings and then overall notes that overlap each other. This is a mess. But anyway, um, let's go into the just the experience of Bandersnatch, like the story and everything. Um, the I like the concept of a of a programmer, computer developer, or game developer guy um, being obsessed with this fantasy novel that's um, a choose your own adventure. And using that to create a, a game. Um, as you go deeper into it, you find out that the creator of Bandersnatch, the book, w- went crazy and kept seeing demons and uh, murdered his his wife and decapitated her. And like that's that's good backstory. That's interesting and everything. My first and third, um, my first and third experiences with it, I ended up uh, murdering my dad and. <laughs> Uh, one of the coolest parts of the entire experience was seeing that, like, like it goes back to if you avoid if you avoid prison, if you like if you chop up the body instead of burying the body, um, you, you it'll show him, 
it'll show Stefan just working in his in his room and then you'll see his dad's head just sitting on on a shelf. That that was a really cool thing. I liked that a lot. Um but one thing that I kind of noticed was that or one thing that kind of bugged me, I should say, uh early on it kind of permeated throughout the rest of the experience was that there's certain things that you can make choices on, but if you make the wrong choice, you have to you st- like it prompts you to start over again. And that felt kind of cheap to me. Um I I understand that it's it's got to be difficult to create this experience and and make it as fluid as they did and it is a very fluid kind of experience when you do make those choices that it kind of wants you to make. In the way that Stefan starts to react to the choices you make is very interesting and I, I love that aspect of it. I'll talk about that in a bit. But like when you're given the choice of either give Tuckersoft the rights to the game and have them have them be able to to create it and a collaborative effort and put it out at Christmas or refuse the deal and work from home. Like if you choose to accept it, like Colin is just like, sorry, sorry, mate, wrong path. And then it starts you over and you have to do that. You have to do that again. And it's like, it, it kind of defeats the purpose to an, to a small extent. However, when you go back and you go back to Tucker soft and everything, like Colin has this weird, like knowing dialogue with you saying like, Oh, what path did you choose? What music did you listen to? Like what? Um, it's all connected, like just cryptic shit that was okay. But it's still like, even with that element of it, like, you still can only really choose to work from home. Like you can't, like there's no, there's no branch of the narrative where you're working in the Tucker soft office with a bunch of people working on your game. So like, what's the point of giving you the choice of that if there's no option for that? Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of like when you reach the end of it, a, a certain end of the, of the movie, um, it does say like, I think it's after, after you've successfully murdered your dad and chopped up the body instead of burying it, because if you bury it, then the dog digs it up and you go to prison. But if you chop it up, then it's, you know, no one knows um, until like years later. But uh, if you chop him up and you you go and talk to the therapist, uh, she's like, how are you doing? He's, you're just like, I'm okay. I'm, I'm great. And uh, my dad's visiting my aunt and everything and it's great and he says something about how we have the illusion of choice i think i may have written it down let me check okay i didn't write it down but basically he says something to the effect of he uh is at peace and he recognized that we have the illusion of choice and that even if we are if even if we believe that we have choice it's not really a uh an actual like choice that we can make and everything. He's basically saying that like we as the viewer don't have, don't really have the power that we assume we have in this because he has overcome it to an extent. I, I guess I, I don't know, but um, to kind of leapfrog off of that, I did like how it was um, how the character started to re- recognize that he wasn't in control. And I, I really thought that that was uh, the the strongest bit of Bandersnatch was how he realizes that he isn't in control and he fights back against us. And like, I thought that that was an incredibly clever idea 
and something that I wish would have been explored more or could have been explored more within this format. Like if that was the focal point of it, I would have, I would have been floored by it because it's, it's really interesting. And like having him interact with us would have been so cool to see like more often. Like, um, I love the Netflix thing. Let's, let's talk about the Netflix thing. Um, that was such a joy. It was such a, such a fun kind of thing. Like there's an option of, uh, when, when he asks like us, like, I know you're, I know you can hear me. Like, tell me something like what is, what's going on. Um, and we tell him we're watching him on Netflix and then we try to explain it further, but he doesn't understand. So he goes to his therapist and he explains to her, and then there's the option of, like, the therapist says, um, if you really are just in a show or in a show and you want to be, uh, that's for entertainment purposes, don't you think you'd be a more interesting character? Like, you're not, you're not very interesting. Um, wouldn't you want more entertainment? And, uh, you get the option of yes or fuck yeah. If you choose yes, um, uh, I think they start fighting and then you get the cha- you get the option of either throwing uh, uh what is it uh jumping out of the window or throwing something i think or fighting i don't know fighting the therapist if you choose to go out the window the, it, the scene cuts and it's revealed that you're in a set on on Netflix and that you're they're making a movie <laughs> um but if you choose to fight it's this big whole thing it's it's silly it's fun it's a fun um side quest i guess and it's it's a fun meta thing. But then I think both of those options, they just reset you and you go back to, to where you were before and make different choices. And it's just, it's okay. Um, but the other option is the white bear option where you can, instead of saying Netflix, it just shows the white bear symbol. And then you can, that leads you to get into your dad's office. And there's some cool stuff that's revealed there. Like there, I have to commend Netflix and Charlie Brooker and all the team at Black Mirror, because this is a very cleverly done thing. Like this is a very, um, innovative. Oh, I just said in my first review that it's not, uh, innovative per se, but it's, it's a very unique experience. And it, I can understand why this was released instead of season five, because the amount of work that had to be put into this is astonishing. Um, I will say that even though I said that I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about whether or not there should be more, um, <clears throat> I really wish that there was a, like this option was done for, um, playtest, uh, last season. I think that that could have been really cool. Um, or, um, was that last season or was that season three? I don't remember. But anyway, um, or if they did like a playtest esque movie, but have it be interactive. I think that could be really cool. But anyway, um, and another thing about that is that there's some really mundane choices early on. And I actually talked to tiny about this, my friend, tiny of obsessive viewer fame. Um, he, uh, and he was supposed to be on this episode with me and we were supposed to kind of talk it out on here, but unfortunately he had some work obligations and he couldn't, yeah, we couldn't get it, uh, taken care of. And I have to get this episode out, before like it has to come out this week because next week is the twilight zone <laughs> so i can't have a bonus episode dangling out there while i have bonus episodes waiting for t- twilight zone and to be frank twilight zone is more important than than black mirror especially to to you guys i'm sure so um anyway i i had messaged tiny last night and he said 
let's see. So I had asked him, I, I told him like, Hey, I think I'm just going to go ahead and record this solo. Cause I need to get it out soon. Um, and then he said, that's cool. I tried to watch it today and fell asleep. I was kind of bored with it. And then we ended up having more of a conversation about it. He said, uh, he wasn't thrilled with the interactive thing. He thought that he only, he would only have to make like three to four uh, decisions the whole time. And he was, uh, trying to have a snack while he watched it and had to keep stopping to make selections. Uh, first world problems. Uh, he also said that I just didn't find it that engaging. Plus you can make a pick and it would just end up sending you back to make the other one kind of pointless in my book. I give them a ton, ton of credit for trying something new though. Um, so I told him that I hope that he finishes it because there are some really interesting places that it goes, but I totally get his point. And that's one of the things that's kind of challenging about it is because you get the, opening scene where like the opening decisions are choosing what cereal to eat for breakfast. And that dictates what ad is played later when you're watching the documentary. And it's, uh, and then you have to have a choice between the music selection that he listens to on the bus. And it's like, it's just, it's mundane. Um, one thing about the music though, that I think is interesting is that I could see this, like, I could see this being an interesting format um, for Netflix to, to do more interesting things. Like I could see it being really interesting in the way that like you, um, like imagine going through and watching a movie, like starting a movie, you're introduced to the characters and then they select what music they listen to. And by doing that, you are selecting what genre you're watching. Like say it's, say it's like, say you want it to be like a romantic comedy. So you pick this like indie rock song for them to listen to or if you want it to turn into a horror movie or a thriller you play this ominous music and everything like and have them listen to it and like that dictates the tone that it sets i think that that could be really interesting and innovative but i didn't really necessarily get that experience or that um that uh that vibe from from this uh particular movie um so in my original review on letterboxd i did mentioned that I got a huge kick out of all the Easter eggs for Black Mirror stuff. And while in that first viewing, I did get a kick out of it. It wore pretty thin on repeat viewings. Like, um, I like the metalhead and nosedive thing, um, being the titles of games with slight different, slightly different spellings. Um, I like that cause it's, it's fun. It's cheeky. And then I liked the, um, well, when I originally wrote my review on Letterboxd, I liked the way that the movie repurposed the white bear symbol. Um, because it does, it fits well. Like, it's repurposed as a symbol of divergent timelines and divergent to- choices. And it's something that, uh, Jerome F. Davies was obsessed with when he was making Bandersnatch the book, which I totally get that. And it's, it's cool that this symbol that is, from all the way back in the early days of Black Mirror can be reused and repurposed for this. The kind of, I don't know if I'd say problem that I have with it, because it's not a problem I have with it, is that, like, it made me wonder, like, does that mean that Jerome F. Davies created the idea for for the White Bear National uh, per, uh, um, Correctional Park or whatever? Um, <laughs> and then my... my uh, follow up to that is, do I even care? Cause I, I've like, I've, I, it's been documented in this podcast that I don't really care about the different, um, 
theories about interconnected storylines and stuff because it's just not my bag. It's not what I want out of the show. Um, there are a couple other Easter eggs, though. Uh, the doctor's name is Dr. Haynes, and on the door you see that her name is Dr. R. Haynes. So it could be a nice little reference to Rollo Haynes from Black Museum. And also the medical facility that she's in is uh, called San Juniper's Medical Facility, which could be an intentional... Um, reference to San Junipero, but I, it could just be a coincidence. Um, so like I said, I like the way that Steven or Stefan deals with the compulsion. Like he, he has that feeling that he's not in control and by extension, it gives the viewer a sense of control and makes us feel kind of tethered to him. And it makes us feel kind of godlike. And I, I liked that. I thought that, that was cool. And if you go into, um, what I, what I like about that is that it's just, it's a connection to the character that you don't really get from other media and I, I like that a lot um so there's a whole side quest thing where you follow colin down the street outside of the doctor's office and then he gives you drugs and you trip a little bit and then it eventually leads to again another sit- situation where i don't know it, i guess this is more acceptable because it's a video game kind of thing but basically it leads to you two on the balcony of a high rise apartment, uh, apartment block. And he is explaining to you all of these things about like how, Oh, there's alternate timelines. And if you die, then you'll just come back. It's fine. Um, just saying all this crazy shit. And then it gives you the choice of you, either you jumping or him jumping to prove the point. And like, if you jump, obviously that's the end of it. Um, and then it circles back and you come back and you tell him to jump. And if he jumps, he kind of disappears from the rest of the movie. And there's not, much like there's no follow-up with that it's it's weird um i'll get to that in just a second because i do want to talk about the actual drug trip scene i really liked that that's one of the other high points of the movie is that there's this kind of vibrance to it like there's this uh energy to it that I, i really liked uh it's very visually stimulating without being overbearing and will poulter's kind of intensity in that scene where he's rattling off all of these crazy theories and crazy um, ideas of alternate timelines and everything. He has such an intensity to that delivery that it's just, it's really cool. Like I really liked his performance in that scene, but like I said, it leads to him jumping off the balcony and it's, I don't know. It doesn't really go anywhere. Like it's weird. It's like he jumps off and then you leave and you see the demon uh, packs from the game and from the book. And then and then you wake up, I guess. I, I think, yeah, after that you wake up and it's like the next day. Um, so you kind of, it's kind of a way to get around it that's kind of like a dream sequence, but then he's not there at all ever, like at all anymore. Um, Colin's not in the movie anymore. And it's weird because, like I said, it doesn't lead anywhere. And then, uh, his, like the assistant gives you the documentary and stuff instead of, like, if you don't go down that path, he's still there and he gives you the documentary. And it's just, I don't know. I wish that there were more consequences to that. Like, it's not like he just suddenly jumped off the balcony and then he, he lives alone. So it's fine. Like you were never there, but like, he has like a, like a girlfriend and a kid there. Like you would think that there would be ramifications to that unless it's supposed to be that him waking up is him waking up into an alternate timeline where Colin just disappeared instead of jumped. But there's not enough communicated into the mo in the movie to really make you think that. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just weird. There's no follow through on that. And that was disappointing, at least not in any, uh, version of the movie that I watched. Uh, 
So the documentary that he's given, that uh, Stefan's given, is that uh, it talks about Jerome Davies killing uh, his wife and decapitating her and about how he was under the suspicion that she was slipping him psychedelic drugs and that he was having these hallucinations and that he was having these visions of the Pax demon um, haunting him. And that's what put him, that's what caused him to put the demon into the book, which all of that's cool. But again, like the kind of the shortcoming of this entire endeavor is that you don't get a lot of context with that. Like there's no follow through on that. Um, like in different versions of the movie, you see visions of this Pax demon, but again, it, it doesn't, nothing comes of it. Is, is it just an apparition? Is it just something in your, uh, that you're, that you're th- like is a product of your imagine of your imagination, or is there something deeper that they just didn't have time to flesh out? Because we've got Jerome Davies having these kind of this psych- uh, psychotic break, and then that's supposed to mirror Stefan's uh, psychotic break to kill his dad, and it's just it doesn't fit. Like it doesn't. I when it got to the point where you're given the option to kill the to kill the dad, like I. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to just as much as he didn't want to. <laughs> like, it's just, it felt like, uh, it didn't feel earned. Like, and I don't know how they can make an interactive story where you have a character murder their dad and have it feel organic. I really don't. Unless, unless they made it like, like manslaughter, like an accident. Like instead of saying kill dad, like maybe push dad and dad falls and he breaks his neck or something. And then that's giving you the choice of alert the authorities or, or bury the body or chop up the body, whatever. Like it just, like something like that would have been more organic and, and really would have held my interest in the story. But instead we get just kill dad or kill or, or, uh, destroy or don't kill dad and then come back and have to kill dad. So I don't know. It just felt like that was a little lacking to me. Um, some other kind of disparate things that, oh, uh, one of the, one of the side plots that happen is, uh, um, if you follow, if you go through, uh, if you, if you follow Colin and do the drugs and, and talk to him and everything, and then you go to the scene where he, uh, where Stefan is in his room and he's asking for us to give him a sign. If you check the, um, if you check the white bear sign, that will, I think that the, at that point, that'll lead you to go into the office where the dad's office. And like, this is, this is a really interesting plot that this is the, this is the part of the movie where I want to, I kind of want to go back and see where it leads because I feel like I didn't get the full extent of it. But basically that kind of plot thread that, uh, goes through that, that plot thread leads you to discover that you're, I guess you're part of a, um, an experiment and that they implanted the idea of the mother's death into your mind and um, your dad's behind it. And then you have a scuffle with your dad and then I think you kill your dad in the scene, but then you wake up and it's like, it's a dream and like, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything because it just resets and you have to make another choice. It's just, it's frustrating more than anything. It's frustrating and it could be more interesting. And like, if you don't go through the path, uh, I think if you don't follow if you don't follow Colin and you go and uh, you instead, instead of choosing Netflix, you choose the white bear symbol, you'll go in there and you'll have an option of either, because there's a password thing. And if by going through the Colin thing, uh, the password is Pac, because um, he has that line about Pac-Man. But if you don't, don't go through that, it gives you the option of either um, choosing the, 
Okay, it either chooses the password as JFD, which are the initials of Jerome F. Davies, or PAX, which is the demon name. And if you, like, I chose, I chose JFD, and then it wasn't the correct password to open the safe to get the details about the, the experiment and everything, but it ended with him seeing, like, an, uh, a vision of, of Jerome Davies scaring him, and then he wakes up and it resets. So I have to assume that if you choose PAX there, it just shows you a vision of PAX, the demon, and it's just like, when you get to those kind of dead ends, it's not fun. It's just, it's not that interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, when you get, there are certain points in the, uh, story where you can, where you can either go back or exit to credits. Um, and I did the, for my second video, I was just like, okay, exit to credits. Um, uh, because at that point I had, um, I think, oh, I had gotten the access to the safe and then I think I killed, I killed the dad and then I had a, uh, oh yeah, that's right. I had a scene where the doctor is telling me like a flashes of memory of the doctor saying like, if you need me, call me, you know, the number. And I couldn't, I wasn't paying enough attention. I couldn't, I didn't know what the number was. And what I thought was interesting was that it shows flashes of her saying numbers and everything. And I should go back and check this out because I think that it has to do with the way that she says she gives him, I, uh, like, I think she gives him the prescription and she says, remember one for all, all for one. So I wonder, is the number supposed to be one, four, four, one, but that's not enough numbers. Cause I think it's a five digit thing. And like, what number is all supposed to be like one, four, all, all four, one, like that's, that's six numbers. So that's not, um, that's not enough. Cause it's five. Um, I'll have to Google that, I think. But anyway, it's, uh, I thought that was, that was clever if that's how it pans out, but I don't know. Um, yeah, so what I thought was cool was that, um, when you get to the actual end of the movie, um, there's a couple of options that I found at least. Like, uh, you're either caught for having, having killed your dad and you're seeing the video game review on TV in, in jail. Or you're telling the doctor that, uh, that you've, you, that you're at peace and everything and then it shows his dad in the, uh, his dad's head in the room as he's working. And then cuts to in the future where we see, um, uh, what was it? It was something like, something like a newscaster from like present day saying like, oh, this Bandersnatch thing, it's gonna be redone, uh, for a future, for for a streaming platform and everything and then it shows a programmer presumably at Netflix they don't say Netflix but she's doing she's like programming the Bandersnatch movie and she does runs a test and then it gives you the option of either destroying the computer or uh pouring tea tea over the computer and it's just an interesting thing to kind of end on where she's she's you can see she's not sure why she's doing the, what she's doing but she does it anyway, and then it cuts to credits. Um, so yeah, I think I rambled through as much as I can about this. Um, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting other things. I really wish I would have explored that, uh, that timeline where you see that your dad is kind of behind everything. Um, yeah, and I kind of wish that it was more, uh, substantial or more, uh, uh, I don't know, more substantial to each other because like in, in that timeline, it's like, okay, 
you've discovered that your dad has this secret safe with all these files and everything about you and that everything has been just a, a, uh, um, an experiment that you're a part of and everything. But if you go back and like, it's not, that's not developed properly in the movie, at least not to my taste. Like when I go back and watch it again, I'm not thinking like, Oh, this, this line of dialogue is leading me down this path to make me think of this. Now I'm suspicious of the dad. It's like, it's just more like, Oh shit, dad's responsible for this. That's crazy. Um, it's just, it's not, I don't know. It just didn't flow that well from a narrative sense, like as, as clean as the actual options for the choices that you make, uh, were, cause it's really nice. It just pops up on the screen and you have like 10 seconds to make a decision and it's pretty seamless, but narratively it doesn't follow through as, as coherently and, uh, as smoothly as smoothly as I would have liked. Um, so yeah, I think that that will do it for my review of Bandersnatch. I wish I would have had Tiny on here to talk about it, but, uh, that's, it's fine. I'm, I'm used to being alone on here. <laughs> um, let me know what you guys thought of Bandersnatch. Um, again, and if you have Letterboxd and you want a pro membership, first one that sends me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com will get a pro membership to Letterboxd, which is a year pro membership. It lets you get stats if you log your movies and stuff. It's really cool. So, Anyway, do that at Matt, Obs- Matt at obsessiveviewer.com and uh, let me know what you thought of Bandersnatch and if you think that they should do more things like that with Black Mirror. Um, like, do you think that this is a worthy narrative structure for your liking or would you rather just have more Black Mirror episodes traditionally done and that this was just an experiment and nothing else? Uh, let me know and hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Next up on the main feed is Penny for Your Thoughts, which should be going up like a day or a few hours after this episode. Um, Penny for Your Thoughts. It's a, it's a, it's a fun little episode. And then, uh, after that, I'm going to do 22 and then we're going to go into our Twilight Zone, uh, 2019 review series, bonus review series. So I'm so excited for that show. I really can't wait. It's going to be on CBS All Access. Can't wait to see it. Um, yeah, and if you like what you heard, my rambling and, and incoherent thoughts on Black Mirror's Bandersnatch, uh, feel free to donate to the podcast at uh, uh, anthologypod.com slash donate, or uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring monthly donations, and uh, that'll give you access to a special RSS feed that has exclusive content recorded specifically for Patreon su- supporters, um, just more like rambling stuff. Um, so, uh, do all that. And most of all, follow me on OV uh, at, on Twitter at OV anthology pod. Um, cause it's funny. Cause like, I've, I know how many people listen to the show and I know how many followers I have on Twitter and there's a pretty big gap between them. So, um, if you're on Twitter, follow me at OV anthology pod. Uh, having said all that, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public Store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.